Hello, everyone. I'm Al Grego, and this is the Yes, We Are Open podcast. Today, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, in the Queen West neighborhood. It's November 1st and a warm, beautiful late fall day for a stroll in the city. I'm walking west along Queen Street on the north side. Across the road is one of the more iconic buildings in Canada, 299 Queen Street West. For years, it was the headquarters of City TV and much music. The iconic statue of the City Pulse news truck crashing through the side of the building is still there. Only now it has a CP24 logo on it, because now this is the headquarters for Bell Media. I used to work in this neighborhood back in the much music days. There was always something going on here. Sometimes it was folks lined up to be part of the studio audience at the Marilyn Dennis show, or a pop star visiting the much music environment for an interview, or an actual live performance by one of those visiting pop stars. Often the street would be closed down to accommodate all the screaming teenage fans. One of my favorite things to do was spending my lunch hours sitting in the Starbucks patio across the street to witness the mayhem. This neighborhood was always an eclectic part of the city, home to many Toronto institutions, many having to do with live music, like Steve's Music Store, the Rex, the Rivley, and of course, the legendary Horseshoe Tavern. But there were many other more eclectic places and things to do on Queen West, like dropping a loony at Speaker's Corner to have your say to the world with the hopes of appearing on television. Now, for the kids listening, Speaker's Corner was like pre-internet YouTube. You could also visit the active surplus store with the iconic Professor Banana, a mannequin in a gorilla suit greeting visitors outside as they came in. Or the Silver Snail, a legendary comic book retailer. Or the Malabar Costume Emporium, for those who are looking for theater and film quality costumes to buy or rent for all occasions. Or the various vintage clothing shops and head shops. Or the iconic Graffiti Alley, a favorite setting for a Rick Mercer rant. In my younger years, no trip to the city was complete without a stop in Queen West. Unfortunately, soaring real estate prices have caused some of those places to either close down or move away. Queen West has lost some of that edge, but it's maintained its status as Toronto's artistic hub, no doubt aided by its proximity to OCAD University, the Ontario College of Art and Design. Now I'm turning north on John Street towards OCAD, but only heading up half a block the subject of this week's story, Tech Fuel. I enter the building. It's one of those spaces buildings where different small businesses can rent and share facilities. It's a very cool looking space, so to speak. I'm directed by reception to go up to the seventh floor. I then head to a space called the loft, which is a large communal area with lots of windows. If it sounds like I'm out of breath, it's because I was. The elevator was down, so I had to take the stairs. Good, how are you? Good to meet you. Yeah, you too. That's Robert. He welcomes me to his space, and we both settled down in a secluded corner of the loft for his interview. Hello, my name is Robert Thompson. I'm the president of Tech Fuel. Okay, and when did Tech Fuel start? 
We founded nine years ago this month in 2014. This month, so happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. What made you start this company? Very good question. In 2010, I took a sabbatical from my full-time job and went to England for a year. And I worked for what we call an MSP or a managed IT service provider like TechFuel is now. I worked for a company in London and just fell in love with the role. Going to see clients, different clients every day, traveling around the city and in, in the underground on the tube. And, you know, it was a bit of a, a working holiday for me. It really, truly was. So it was exciting. But I really liked working with small businesses and having a direct impact on their business via what I do for a living. So it was exciting. When I came back to Canada, I, I worked uh, for a big corporation again for four years and saved up my money. And the whole intention of that, that role was to save up money to start my own business doing what we're doing now. My father bought his father's business, a flooring business in my hometown of Woodstock. So I, I was raised in a, a small business family. And um, I, I don't know if that was just inherently there in my subconscious, but when I came back to Canada from England and, and worked at Loblaws, I was contracting and I saw the way that the contract world worked and the difference between being an employee at one of these companies or a contractor. And, you know, mixing that in with my experience in London with an MSP, I thought, you know, I should be starting one of these MSPs and I, I do what I do well. And I think people enjoy working with me. And I was already running a team at Loblaws, so why not make it my own team? It was a big stretch, but it was also time for me to find a new challenge. The age I was at and the point of my career I was at, I thought, you know, uh, there's got to be more to it than this. And uh, how, do I, how do I do more and enjoy it more and give back more? And this answer was a big roll of the dice, but it was partly not not relying on other people to provide me with work or with my next contract or my next role. Seeing a lot of people being laid off at those big corporations every year, they lay off hundreds of people just sort of, you know, because um, it makes business sense. Just didn't, didn't really see myself loving that world for the next couple of decades of my career and thought, uh, let's carve something out for myself so that I'm in control of that or to some extent. I, I guess one, one more part of that was to provide folks like myself who were very technical, a good role that they enjoyed. You know, I think a lot of IT engineers don't necessarily love what they do because they get into it and they realize there's a lot of politics and red tape and a lot of corporate stuff that floats around what they really do and what they're passionate about. So part of, part of starting TechFuel was to provide other technical roles with jobs that they really like. They want to show up to, they get out of bed and kind of feel like this is what I should be doing, right? moved to downtown Toronto and thought I will hang my shingle here, so to speak, and and look for clients in this area and live right downtown and work downtown. And having done that in, in London, England, when I was there, I, I thought that's what I want to do. I liked getting onto the public transit and going to see a client and then, you know, that whole vibe of rather than being out in a suburb and getting into a car to go see a client, um, yeah. I really wanted to be in Toronto. Uh, one like of my company the, be the here, energy the energy of the city. And, and I figured the potential opportunity was right. also the greatest here too. There are probably a lot more small businesses here than there are in your average suburb, but there were zero clients to start. And it was uh, a small first year. I think I, think I did 26,000 in revenues in year one. <laughs> you know, uh, it, was, it was just kind of a 
build it from scratch yep. and start spreading the word. And little did I know how difficult it would be to gain clients in this industry. It, you know, people don't just, just sign up with us. It's, it's usually done by referral and, and by a number of phone calls and yep. visits with a customer before they can trust you to do this type of work for them. But I had uh, one friend who ran North Beach Volleyball Academy, uh, an indoor beach volleyball facility that's since closed. The pandemic shut that business down permanently, but they were my one customer that I could go and do some work for starting Tech Fuel, uh, a very small customer at that. Well, I mean, starting started... a new company, uh, no doubt you're an expert at whatever you do at, at IT, hmm. but uh, a lot of it's sales at the beginning. How were you with that? Not very good. <laughs> um, I was awful at it. To your point, you're guessing that I'm good at what I do, and right. I figured it would sort of bleed out in conversation into people's minds that I am good at what I do and that they should hire me. Um, but little did I know that at the end of the day, these business decisions take a lot of substance before they're decided upon. Right. And uh, just knowing that I'm good at what I do and that I'm a nice guy to work with isn't enough for most businesses to say, sure, let's bring you on yeah. with this kind of a contract. Contracts weren't even in my mind, actually, when I started my business. I figured I would set an hourly rate and just charge everybody for my time. And that is what I did at the beginning. Um, and that's far from what we do now. Yeah. Trading hours for dollars was the name of the game. <laughs> and uh, that helped me build the reputation. But yeah, the sales process was very difficult. Sending out my first invoice, even to charge somebody for the work I had already done was, was difficult because I'd never sent an invoice sure. before. Sure. So yeah, the, the learning the business side of it and the sales side was yeah. a huge learning curve. In the first five years of the company, I learned a lot about business and sales as much as I did about technology, probably because I just had to. Yeah, oh yeah, I definitely. I don't remember what I did, but uh, probably paid off some bills, you sure. know. But <laughs> so at the beginning was it just you? Yeah, it was me for a number of years, just me, and I and I always had a third party support team, a, a help desk, if you will, where if I'm not available, folks can call the Tech Fuel help desk number and get somebody from my team, right. which is actually a, a team of professionals that work kind of across Canada and the U.S. Uh, that is, it's a third party, yeah, first level support team. Um, and that's all they do is help folks from, uh, you know, answer the phone, fix their printer, set up their email. But anything beyond more junior level staff uh, work, they escalate to us. And we still use that same company today as our help desk for after hours support. There weren't any home run clients that I landed per se, but one of our our best clients today started at a fraction of the size that they are now. They're a, a CFO for hire slash accounting financial services firm, privately run. And I think they might've had a dozen staff when we when I first started working with them. And now they have almost 50. And that has all happened in a three or four year time period. And they're a client that we model things after right. from a tech fuel perspective you, because grown together as we have, yeah, it's, it's been a very nice growth together. The operational maturity of tech fuel has constantly improved every year. And they're the kind of company that makes you feel like you have to do that. Otherwise they're going to leave you behind. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and we've, we've just had such a great relationship and I've, put in the work and grown the business as they've grown theirs and we've maintained a, a fantastic relationship. That's the one company that that has really helped make this work for us and, and helped Tech Fuel grow. It was 
probably about four years in where I felt like we've gotten over that hump. We're really providing something similar to what we're doing now today, like like true managed services. We're not just trading hours for dollars. We have so many different services that each of our clients uses that whether it be for support or cybersecurity or data protection, these services are a really good selection of services that work effectively for the small business here in Canada. And it's truly something that everybody should have. And that's how we're selling it. Yeah, it was probably at least four years in before I I felt like that was a, a true reflection of what I was doing. We've got three in-house staff um, looking at another one as we speak. Talk about how many clients you have? That's a great question. We send out about 30 invoices a month. Okay. So we would have about 30 different clients. And, and that's a, a mixture. I mean, that's quite a mixture of some small businesses to businesses that have, you know, 50, 60, 70 staff. Sure. One of our clients is a, a huge corporation that has an internal IT team, and we just complement what they have from a support and cyber perspective. We just sort of fill in the gaps for them and let them do a lot of the day-to-day stuff. So, yeah, that's, it's about 30 clients. That's uh, We've had quite a few for that long. We've had that number for a while. Well, that's a great question. My best year, as in uh, from any perspective. Um, so revenues continue to grow every year uh, at, at, a, at a pretty good clip. So this year was our best year, and the year before that was our best year prior to this year. I'm really excited, actually, where we're at right now. Now that we have multiple in-house staff that can work on initiatives that me, Robert, does not have to work on, we're starting to tackle bigger problems, bigger clients, and I can see the growth really ahead of us is, is going to be the most substantial growth that we'll see as a company as long as we keep working away at it. Up next, Robert is an expert in all things IT. But to grow his new business, he's going to have to sell himself and that expertise to other businesses. Will he be successful? Stay tuned to find out. You're listening to Yes, We Are Open. Robert Thompson decided that rather than working for yet another large corporation, he'd take control of his own career and start TechFuel, an IT managed services provider. But with little to no sales experience, will he be able to sign on enough clients to make it work? Let's find out. So let's talk about uh, struggle. What's been your biggest struggle in the last almost decade? Frankly, growing the business has been the, the toughest thing. Um, I think, like I said earlier, I, I figured that being good at what I do and being a nice guy to work with would be enough that I would hang my shingle and somehow, miraculously, people would hear about it yeah. and start knocking and calling and going, I have IT problems. Can you help? And can I sign up? And that's just the opposite of the way it works. Year three was probably one of the more challenging years because revenues still hadn't ramped up. I still wasn't paying myself the same salary I was making at my previous job. 
So you start looking back at the numbers and going, well, had I stuck in that kind of role, I would have made this much over the years. And now I've made this much and it's not growing at the pace that I want it to grow at. So yeah, either get busy growing it or kill it, right? <laughs> that was the mentality at one point there. So you're downtown. You have a, a, did you have an office downtown? Uh, not at the time, no. I was working at home still. So at home, but you were living downtown. But I was living downtown. Right, right. <laughs> you're a team of one, that's fine. But if you're like, you know, if you just said year one, you made $26,000, you're not living downtown Toronto. For right. And I think year two might have been like seventy six or 78000 right. Or like it wasn't, yeah. there was, the growth was not there to yeah. support me two years out. You're still eating a lot of ramen, probably. Right. <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> at least, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, the company was not paying my salary for the first two years. It was not covering my salary. And even in year three, I think I was, I think year three was when I was thinking, you know, we need to see some growth here. We need to tack on at least, you know, another hundred thousand in revenues, or I might as well just hang it up because the costs, you know, I, I, I needed to start paying myself. Right. And thankfully that year worked out. I think a big part of it was the the sales and the you know that that bottom line that in the beginning you feel I don't know if it's fear that takes over or I always knew I was really good at what I did but I also knew that I had just started a company and I was a one person shop and that the companies I was going to be speaking to none of them were one person shops they had all had multiple staff for multiple years so why should I be working for them? And I think the fear gets to you that, you know, I haven't done this long, even though I've done it a long time. My business is, is small and amateur kind of, mm-hmm. kind of thought. And so how can I invoice them at this hourly rate? When they challenge my invoice or they challenge my rate or they challenge anything financially, you automatically assume that they're right because they've done it longer and they know business better than you. Yeah. And at a certain point, you just have to kind of turn the corner and say, no, I, I've been doing this long enough now that I know what I'm doing and I know what the industry rates are and I know what me and my services are worth and take it or leave it kind of thing. There was There's a certain confidence factor that just had to be there to then push the sales, drive the sales, actually ask for the sale. So one of the switches, one of the reasons a switch flip would have been BNI, and I, I assume you've heard of that, but it's Business Networking International. It's a it's a networking business group, and there's thousands of chapters around the world. There's probably a dozen in Toronto. I joined one back probably around this, just prior to my turning the corner. It, I'm sure that some of the BNI folks I met changed my mind on that. You know, I, I think I hired a new accountant at that time. And then I ended up joining another BNI chapter, which has turned out to be a fantastic chapter and, and really good for business. The BNI for my business has been considering I don't advertise and, and we don't we don't do any formal outbound marketing and it's all through referrals and your network. And uh, and that's grown the business a lot and changed my mentality toward sales and the sales process and having confidence in what you're doing. So I thank BNI quite a bit for that and the members that were in my chapter for sure. Great yeah. place to network too, I'm sure. Absolutely. One of our best clients, the client I was talking about before that has grown up with us, oh, I met them through uh, BNI just as a guest at another chapter. And uh, a couple of our better clients have come through connections through BNI. 
Well, I think that's when I introduced our uh, first, you know, sort of base package, if you will, where you're getting antivirus and our remote support and remote monitoring tools and charging something for that per user or or, more in terms of value added services. Right. Right. That's around year four, the things kind of started turning around. So that puts you to about 2018, 2019, I guess. But yeah. And the pandemic hits. Did that affect you at all, the pandemic? Interestingly enough, it helped our business. I think because everybody else went home, worked from sure. home. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have colleagues to bump into and say, hey, you know, this website's not working or I can't print. Can you print? Is the printer working for you? None of those questions were happening. So they had their home printer and they had their home internet to deal with. And so that introduced a whole new challenge for our customers, which allowed us to help solve. And then also cybersecurity started picking up during the pandemic, which also obviously helped our business. Um, So the remote workforce, we had to put in some new solutions like work from home solutions, some VPNs, some remote access type stuff. That wasn't really where we grew, though. I think really where we grew was that the work model shifted for our clients and they just needed a little more handholding with respect to IT than they previously did. We lost a couple of our better clients, our better, bigger clients who were in the entertainment industry because of the pandemic. Immediately, they just shut down their business, uh, including North Beach Volleyball, that uh, company there, too. But some of our better clients who were bringing in a good chunk of our revenue just dropped us immediately. And, you know, I don't blame them. But thankfully, there were enough other companies that were shifting their work balance from the office to home and what have you. And, and they picked us up because they needed us more than they ever did. Right. Um, so we actually grew in the first year of the pandemic. We grew a, a decent amount. Companies, especially that went fully remote, are no longer paying for an office or for cubicles or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So maybe now some of that money goes, gets flows to you. Yes, I think that is the truth. And, and part of that is there are companies that had a, a big office yeah. with a huge firewall that they would pay a lot of money to have maintained and Wi-Fi access all through the office. And like you say, there's parking costs and yeah. lease costs on the office space. All of that budget can now go to something else. And what it is, is that stack I was telling you about, that security stack that we have. Four or five years ago, that was the bulk of your security stack, was the firewall you had at the office. You know, firewall and backups. Those were the two things everybody needed to do. But that big firewall and that big office all gone. And so the budget shifted. Cybersecurity focus has shifted. And I think having both the budget and the focus shifting at the same time has allowed us to capture some of that in our revenue. Yes. Um, so there was something you asked earlier about what changed like at year three, year four, when things started. And part of that was the, the financing, right? P- part of it was setting up credit card payments, letting customers pay with credit cards versus just email, money, transfer and check. So getting a, a system where people could sign in, put in their credit card, have it saved for next month, set up an automatic payment if they want. We've been through, I think this is our third iteration of that type of process. So the front end credit card tool that the clients see and that we use to like track cards and whatnot. And then the back end processor, such as Moneris. I mean, I think Moneris is our third processor. It takes the least amount of maintenance. Like since we've switched over to Moneris, we just don't need to fix the back end, the APIs and the the credit, the front end and the back end and our bookkeeping system just all seems to work now without 
needing much maintenance. Uh, We also switched our front end at the time, like our client-facing credit card system. I think that was also an upgrade. So having upgraded sort of both of those and keeping our existing bookkeeping system at the time, just everything has worked so much better since then. It's just month end takes less time. We get one statement every month that's very clear. I know what we're being billed for the different types of cards. And anytime we've had anything go awry, it's just gets fixed right away with the Moneris team support. So it's been good. Coming up after the break, we find out what the future holds for Tech Fuel Incorporated. Success in business doesn't come without moments of struggle, moments when you had to face your challenges head on. As the proud partner of Canadian business, Moneris plays a critical role in empowering businesses with the payment processing tools they need to succeed. Together, we are building stronger businesses where business owners everywhere can stand up to their challenges without slowing down. Moneris, proud partner of Canadian business. Welcome back to Yes, We Are Open. Robert Thompson has overcome his sales challenges and turned TechFuel into a successful business with a strong roster of clients and impressive year-over-year growth. So what does the future hold for TechFuel? Let's find out. So uh, you're saying that the last couple of years, at least, you've had 40 to 50% growth. So that, that's amazing. That's a great yeah. trajectory. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the future of TechFuel. What is your future look like? It's bright. That's, mm-hmm. that's one thing I can sense for sure. Well, it's interesting. We, we, we talk about, you know, delegating roles to your staff and letting stuff go. And I think the more that I can let stuff go, the more the business will grow. The more I can focus on the business instead of being in the business, it's going to continue to grow. The 40 to 50% per year, I'm, I'm always shocked every time we run our annual numbers. I think, you know, well, last year we did that, but there's no way we can do it again this year because we're bigger than we were the previous year. So how can we grow it by that same percentage? And it just seems to continue on. Now that we kind of have our financials in order and our operational maturity has come so far along, you hit certain plateaus with respect to revenues and number of staff and number of uh, clients that you have. And I think we've basically, we've kind of hit that first one. And so to get to the next one, to say triple the size of tech fuel over the next five years would probably kind of be the goal. How do we do that? We definitely need to get some more good people involved in-house. And I need to crank up the sales process a lot. I mean, we really need to kind of formalize it and make it something that we can execute on a regular basis rather than just waiting on referrals and having conversations with these referrals in a very informal fashion. I think we need to formalize it more and have a, have a, a more strategic approach to getting in front of people, but also just, just closing the sale and, and getting people on board. We are constantly adding services to our managed service catalog, if you will. We will be offering more services from more vendors, no doubt. Frankly, cybersecurity is at the forefront of all of this. Our, our business has shifted from IT and support type activities more to cyber in the last year and a half to two years. It's shocking me how quickly it's happening. Um, all of our conversations are stemming from cyber now, not what's not operating properly in your business or what is your current staff doing that you can't get done? It's what does your cybersecurity insurance policy look like? How did you answer those questions? 
and it's shifting more to that. So I can see that being the forefront of our business in five years. We work for any vertical, like we work for accountants and healthcare practitioners and any, anybody in any industry really that is using computers to get their job done really is who we work for. So I don't see that necessarily changing. Maybe we'll, we'll start working for some American companies. Maybe we'll have an American division, but I, I think if we can simply just grow in volume, the cybersecurity, that'll be our focus. I'm excited. I, this is the most excited I've been since I started the company. And I think uh, I think the more I step away from the day-to-day operations and, and I'm less needed to keep it running, the more excited I get about it because I feel like I've had my head down. I've been in the weeds for many years, you know, building this and, and making it work. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of effort that, you, you know, isn't sustainable forever. And I'm really excited about not having to put in that same weedy effort, if you will, on uh, for me personally, that I have a team that helps with that. It's just going to allow me to be more of a CTO for our customers versus a support engineer, which is really what they need more and more now as our customers get bigger, as cybersecurity becomes more of a real problem for everybody in, in the Canadian business landscape. They need that C-suite technology executive to help guide them and make the right decisions more than ever. And that's what I'm excited about is, is having those conversations and really growing our company by servicing more and larger businesses here in Canada. Hey, Roberts, is TechFuel open? Yes, we are absolutely open. That's the story of Tech Fuel Incorporated. Sales. It may seem unfair, but ultimately, when you start a business, regardless of what kind of product or service you're providing, the success of that business will inevitably come down to sales. How well can you sell your product or service? How well can you sell yourself? Now, with a small business, you can usually get away with doing both yourself. But if you want to build something larger, like Robert wanted to, then you basically have two options. You can take on the sales yourself, or you can hire someone to do it for you. Neither option is more right or wrong. It basically just depends on where you want to place your trust. The former might mean that you may not be able to focus on providing the product or service yourself, as was the case with Robert. He had to put the IT work aside in order to sell tech fuel. And the more sales he needed, the less capacity he had to do the actual work, and the more trust he needed to put in his team. On the other hand... On the second option, you get to do all the work you want on your product or service, but you'll have to rely on someone else to get you the sales. You'll have to trust that they'll represent your business and not make any outrageous claims or promises. The more TechFuel grows, the more Robert is realizing that his focus needs to be more on sales. And I think in this situation, it's the right call. He's got a great team behind him. And as the face and voice of his company, who better to sell it? Besides, I don't believe him one bit when he says he's bad at sales. From what I witnessed, I think Tech Fuel has a very bright future. Yes, We Are Open is a Moneris podcast production. I'd like to thank Robert for taking the time to share his story. 
You can learn more about TechFuel at techfuel.ca. Follow them on Facebook at Tech Support Toronto. On Twitter, they're at TechFuelIT. And on LinkedIn, they're at TechFuel Inc. Please support this podcast by writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a Canadian small business owner or know of one with an interesting story of perseverance to tell, I'd love to help tell it. You can contact me at podcast at Tune in next week for another story of small business struggle and survival on the Yes, We Are Open podcast. I'm Al Grego. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.